Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation in our denomination. But as many of you already are figuring out, that Reformation is always a messy process. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to talk about what's happening in our denomination and to talk about what Reformation might look like. Also want to keep giving thanks to all of you guys who are tuning in and listening each week. We really appreciate your faithfulness and just want to encourage you to keep getting the word out about what we're doing here. Share it with friends, share it with other pastors, let them know what we're doing. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe. That way you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's show with Matthew Hahn. All right, Matt, why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, what church you're at? Sure. Uh, Matthew Hahn, I've uh, been at First CRC Rock Valley for uh, almost nine years now. I'm a second career uh, pastor. Um, but before we get into that uh, whole story, um, I've been married for 18 and a half years uh, to Holly. We have four sons, uh, Benjamin, Titus, Ezra, and Andrew. And um, yeah, I'm also the, the oldest son of a PCA pastor. And uh, okay. that is, uh, he's at oh, cool. his first charge. Uh, 40 years in and wow uh, wow so my siblings wow. are matthew mark luke and john the gospel four and the word of more um <laughs> so yeah we we have a fun yeah. we have a fun lineage that way of uh serving in christ church and being faithful to the call oh wow what uh, what ages are your boys 13 10 7 and 5 Okay. I assume your house probably looks a lot different than mine because I have four girls. Well, there you and, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no and are, yeah. No, we, we don't have a lot of Barbies here either, but I've, I said our girls, uh, they all play hockey. So that tells you a little bit about them, but we have the kind of the good, the good balance between, uh, they're still girls, you know, they're, they're, they're girls, but they're, but they're tough girls. And I don't have to worry too much about them. If a boy tries to get out of hand, they'll, uh, they'll there you go. You're, they're going to beat them up. How old are your kids? Uh, my girls are uh, 17, 16, 13, and 8. Oh, yeah. 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 I, you, I make sure I was getting that. 16, one's almost 16. She's about to get her driver's license. So, there you go. yeah. So, wow. we've got uh, three teenagers in the house, which makes it uh, interesting. Three teenage girls in the house, which makes it even more interesting. That's right. So, yeah, so you said you're a second career pastor. So you've been at Peoria for nine years. I've been um, at what, you... Rock Valley for nine years. Oh, first CRC Rock Valley. I don't know where I got Peoria. That's okay. So you've been there for nine years. So what did what did you do for, before that? I was a carpenter before that. Uh, built homes uh, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul region. And uh, during that season... Um, the Lord uh, had us worshiping at Baldwin Christian Reformed Church in Baldwin, Wisconsin. 
Oh, yeah. We were active in ministry there. I taught adult Sunday school for seven years and did all things worship related. Yeah, preached at the care centers and so on. And the church there said, we know you can do more. So they really encouraged me to go on the ministry. You know, when you grow up in a pastor's home, you know the, the good and the bad and the ugly. And uh, you have to wait for the Lord's calling uh, to whether or not that's what you're supposed to do. So we waited for the not only the inward call, but the outward call of of the Lord and his church to say, yes, please go to seminary. So. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, where, where'd you go to seminary? Went to Calvin. Um, my undergrads at Dort. And so uh, my, all my connections in adulthood were in the CRC. And so went to Calvin, uh, graduated in three years and um, yeah, came here. Knew exactly what we wanted. Yeah. We wanted to be in the Midwest. We wanted to be at a, you know, a medium-sized church that was established and and uh, well-run, and and um, I was looking for leadership, and that's where we are. So, yeah, cool. So, did you? Because uh, you you're, you said your dad was a PCA pastor, correct? Um, and so, at what point did you kind of enter into the CRC? Well, you know, going to Dort, um, I, I didn't grow up in the Christian education world. Uh, we had a public school. That was the only thing within. 150 miles because uh, my father ministers in a little place called Pollock, South Dakota, uh, two hours south of Bismarck, two hours north of Pierre. And uh, that's where the nearest fast food was. So, you know, uh, we lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. But it's a beautiful part of the world, a beautiful part of God's creation. Um, rivers there. And, you know, if you love anything outdoors, it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, but, yeah. He really wanted us to go to a, at least one year of Christian education after high school. And Dort uh, College, now university, was the closest, uh, closest reformed school. And uh, so I started going there and uh, all my brothers followed. And, and uh, yeah, the rest is sort of history as far as connections to the CRC. Yeah, gotcha. What, uh, so one of the questions we ask people too, so, um, what's, what's been your involvement in the CRC? Have you been involved? Have you been involved in the CRC beyond your local congregation? Yeah, I've worn a lot of hats in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, right now I'm the, the chair of the CIC, so the chair of class of Iacota, been that for the last six years. Um, I was the, one of the primary authors of the ministry share upheaval report for 2016 um went to synod with that uh, overture i definitely got shot at plenty of times but the uh, heart of the overture has passed <laughs> it has it has done great yeah. changes for the good in the denomination um so we're thankful for that um otherwise i wear a lot of other hats i in my classes rep to the board of Dort University, um, where I am the academic affairs chair, um, serve in the executive committee, and so on. So, a lot of uh, a lot of hats to wear, a lot of leadership hats to wear throughout the region, and as well as uh, well known in the halls of GRs too. So, yeah, sure, yeah. I uh, one of the questions that popped into my mind. 
um, as I as I talk to a lot of pastors about being involved in um, classical work and denominational work, um, a number of pastors, I mean, in the CRC, that's the the realms that I talk. Say, ah, I don't have time to do all that. I, I'm busy enough with my church, and so I just love what 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 would you say to to that ans- to that uh, problem with serving in classical denominational things like, man, I'm a pastor. I just don't have enough time um, to be involved in things outside of my own congregation. Uh, You know, I would just really lean into people and just say, you know, how has God called you to the position that you're at? Um, You know, for me, I'm a firstborn, so I'm a type A personality. Um, It it comes pretty naturally to just be out and, and go and do things. Um, but yeah, we run a big, a big uh, church here. I mean, we see between five and 600 on a Sunday morning. I'm the only full-time guy. Uh, there's no other full-time staff in our whole church. So, um, yeah, I guess if I can wear six or seven hats, I, I don't see why anyone else can't wear two. Uh, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it's good to be involved in the denomination. I think it's so much better to be proactive than to sit back and be reactive. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. pastors are so accustomed to being reactive that they don't, they don't think about what it would look like to take the 30,000 foot or 50,000 foot view and say, let's bring actual change. That's what happened with yeah. the denominational ministry share program. I mean, that was a three year mm. overture development between myself and someone polar opposite from me. Corey Plockmeyer. I don't know if you know anything about Corey, but you know, I vote for Trump. He votes for Bernie. Um, we, we could not be two further people apart, but we wrote that overture together um, hmm. to attract both sides of the denomination to have some yeah. consensus. And so, you know, I think that that kind of work is doable and it's good and it's necessary, but so often pastors, uh, like the sheep in the pew, like the poke at what's wrong instead of go and fix it. Mm. Mm. That's true. That's true. It is a, <laughs> ooh, that's a good word um, because it is easier to, um, to, to speak big and carry a, a small stick <laughs> and, uh, and talk big, but not, not be involved in, in bringing about change. And, and, and there's a good word from uh, uh, Carrie Gephardt, a pastor that we interviewed in a previous episode, um, who didn't grow up in the CRC, but he said, when I decided to be part of the CRC and be part of a, of a congregation that believe, or a denomination that believes our congregations are in covenant with one another, I refused to function like a congregationalist. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because our because our theology requires that we as pastors and churches work together and we have to look beyond our individual congregation to, to what's going on in the broader classes and, and the broader denominational things. And I think that's probably one of my frustrations and one of my struggles. I, I don't necessarily want to jump into those quite yet, but I feel like our denomination as a whole has been sliding more into congregationalism and functionally and, and how we do our church polity, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I would completely agree. You know, when I graduated, when I was going to seminary, my father uh, said, I assume you're going to be a, a CRC minister. And he said, I, I really encourage you to be that because the PCA doesn't need you. Uh, the 
the CRC needs you to come and help carry the piano. And uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's why I'm here, honestly, um, because it's not easier work. Um, no. You know, if, if conservatives want easier work, there are, there are places you can go and serve easy. But it's important that we see ourselves as salt and light and actually do the work of salt and light. And, um, but yeah, it's, it is difficult for especially conservatives to not operate in a congregational mindset when the denomination does things that you don't appreciate. But that is really opportunity to speak clearly of what you don't appreciate yeah. and understand why they're saying what they're saying and then help them see your position or the orthodox position, as we like to say. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So before uh, we're already diving in, which is good, because I know we've got uh, concerns too, but, but before we get there, I do want to take some time to talk about what do you think are some of the strengths of the CRC? You know, the CRC has been around for a long time. The CRC has the three forms of unity that is unique to the Protestant world. It's unique to the Presbyterian world. It brings something to the table. And it's history. I'm a history major, so I love historical things. But um, it's so important that the CRC doesn't continue to fragment. You know, if people want to leave us, that's fine. You know, if they don't want to read the scripture the same way and they want to leave us, that's one thing. But the, you know, the disassociation with the URC that happened in the 90s didn't help anybody. Um, it's so important for us to say the gospel has been clearly proclaimed for 150 plus years. Let's continue to do that, not only in the, you know, quote unquote, Dutch Bergs, but let's continue to reach with that good gospel reform message to any nationality, um, to any part of the country. Um, you know, in our church currently, in the last five years, we've added almost 265 people. Wow. Um, wow. You know, and 50% or more were of non-reform background. Hmm. Well, that happens because there is good stuff in this ERC. There's yeah. good stuff in our polity. There's good stuff in our, um, our theology. And, you know, we have a lot of the answers, but we just have to find the people with the questions. And, you know, but the people that have the questions are surprised how how thorough and thought through all of the things are that the CRC has, you know, uh, 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 others have said that too, that have been on your program, you know, that yeah. the answers are here that someone has thought them through and they've been known for 300 years, but, you know, even the pastors, you know, if you talk to pastors, so many pastors have never preached the Belgic confession or the Canons of Dort, um, you know, put on your mining hat and go in and, and find the gold. Um, yeah. CRC has much of it. So, yeah. And I even, as someone who, who does preach on the confessions a lot, um, I have, uh, right around, uh, actually the day before the election this year, I opened up the Belgic and turned to the on civil government part and, and was reading through the Belgic, 
on civil government. And I just remember putting it down and went, man, this is so good. Like, I forgot how helpful this is. And then I kicked myself and said, man, I should have been preaching on this a little bit more, kind of helping equip our congregation for what's coming up here. But um, but that'll be coming because I think, um, so even someone who really appreciates it, I forget how, how good it is. And um, and then just this last week too, I, I was telling my wife, um, I guess, I don't know all these dates, but I guess this last week was the birthday of the Heidelberg Catechism. Yep. And, uh, and uh, um, I don't know if you know Tom Askell, who he is at all, but he's a, he's a big guy in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and he posted, he about the Heidelberg Catechism, he said, this is the most beautiful pastoral theological confession I've ever seen. And I said, that's saying a lot for a Baptist to say that about a confession that explicitly talks about infant baptism. But yeah. I think that exactly. that tells you how good the Heidelberg is that even a Baptist can say, okay, I disagree with this part, but it's really, really good. Well, and of, of they course, say that about our theology a lot. Pastors, how many pastors won't even preach on it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the sadness of it all, right? Yeah. Um, like so often we, we, we put the fine China away because we don't want to bring it out. And it's like, no, bring out the China. It's good. You know? Um, and I think people are hungry for it. That's, uh, that's one of the things that I've experienced over and over and over again is, um, just preaching unapologetically preaching, um, our, the, our Christian reformed theology. Right. And I, and I, our Dutch reformed theology, even because there's a little bit of a nuance that we have that that's not there in other places. And uh, man, uh, as I've done, as we've done that over the years, I've seen teenagers grab a hold of it and say, wow, this is really good. And uh, a lot of non-believers say, wow, we've never heard anybody talk like this about the Bible and about faith. And, and they're, uh, they're really, yeah, people are longing for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Matthew, I just have a question for you. Um, I'm so happy that you affirm the theology and just uh, affinity and harmony in our theology. Uh, I am wondering, though, as far as your involvement in the CRC is gone, have you had any uh, troubles or skirmishes or kind of anything like that that you've been through? What are some hard things you've been through, if you're comfortable sharing that? Uh having your life threatened by uh, denominational officials. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Um, oh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, be, uh, you know, it, it being blacklisted from the banner. I mean, there are, there are things right. That, that people don't believe, but truly do happen. Um, but, you know, I I'm, I'm here as God's servant and, and so when, when there are battles, when there are wars, when there are troubles and trials, the Lord has just given the strength to say, continue on, continue on. Um, and I think that's where a lot of conservatives are just frankly too weak. Um, mm. You know, they want to take their ball and go home. Mm. And, um, you know, in class of Sciacota, for example, well, I suppose it was three or four years ago, you know, there was a huge push by people to have women delegates seated at classes, even though there are only two churches that have women delegates. Um, and it got through. And so, all right, well, let's talk about how do we do this? Then? 
you know, what, what, how are we going to make this work? So we don't have all these battles coming up. And again, you know, sat down with the same guy that mm. wrote the overture with um, and said, okay, what does this boil down to? What, what are the things on both sides of the aisle that are non-negotiable? And we wrote up, rewrote the entire rules of classes to make them to a place that when we brought them forward, it was a unanimous vote of consent. Wow. And, but that takes time, you yeah. know? Uh, and it takes a lot of bad mouthing by the conservatives. All oh, you're giving in, all oh, you're, you're the weak middle. No, 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 no. You know, uh, it's amazing to me how many people want to fight a fellow conservative instead of win the battle. Mm, yeah. You know, fight, fight to win. Um, you know, in our, in our uh, classes, you know, we, we formed a document that could be used across the denomination. And it still gives primary authority, you know, to, to male leadership on very select committees, CIC, for example, and other governance committees, but allows freedom where there isn't governance. Hmm. You know, I mean, those are things we can work out together. Yeah. And, and, you know, use the giftings of, of people that are there, even if we disagree how they're there. Um, I think it's important for us to get to that place as conservatives and not say, well, I'm giving up the ghost here of, of orthodoxy. No, you know, just like we had with the URC, so much of the problem is are we having a conversation about authority matters? You know, the women in office debate was purely, can women have an office in the church? What we're getting into now with mutuality is, do we as a church have the ability to tell God what is right and what is wrong? Mm. Mm. That is a, a substantial difference in discussion yeah, that, that I think people you know, don't understand what they're, what they're asking for. I mean, the authority of office and the, the, the authority of what's right and wrong are two completely different conversations. Yeah. Yes, they are. You know, I think we could actually have more overtures that would be more productive uh, if we had that next to each other. So. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. So what, uh, so we're kind of diving into some of that already, but so what are some of the big, uh, maybe red flags you're seeing in the CRC and some of the big concerns you have about the, the future of the CRC? Yeah, you know, I mean, getting back to your original uh, statement slash question on involvement, I mean, I think post 94, conservatives either decided not to, or they were selectively removed from publication stations in our denomination and you know our publication arm just needs to plan go away <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah. it's not talking about productive things um, you know if they want to have a, a kitchen table conversation then we should be having a another podcast like this one and yeah. have, have people that disagree and have them have conversation in real time instead of you know a, the three-month lag of print mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's a big red flag that we can easily get rid of. Um, the other thing is, 
we're a denomination that's gotten bigger uh, as far as geography and bigger as far as theology. You know, so much of our issue right now uh, stems from late baby boomers who want more of the sexual revolution to exist uh, in their Grand Rapids neighborhoods. Um, mm. And those of us who are outside the borders of Michigan say, where are we going? And, you know, I think it's fascinating. Um, I honestly think the only way forward is, is to move the denominational headquarters, uh, mm. to move it out of the state of Michigan, um, move it to another cluster, um, you know, move it out to Sioux Falls or move it to Des Moines or move it somewhere else where there is a rebirth, uh, if you will, of the denomination, uh, because I don't think it can, I don't think it can be reformed in GR. Hmm. Yeah, there's too much history there, too much uh, Well, there's just uh, too baggage. many, there's just too many connections, you know, um, there's too much uh, family connection uh, that it seems a uh, you know, as you walk the halls of, of the seminary and Calvin University and the home office, you're like, oh, uh, your uncle works at the other place and your aunt works at the other one. And, uh, oh, your son, too. Oh, OK. You know, it's one big web that just needs to be knocked down and uh, start over. Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed that um, uh, this may not be a popular opinion, but it's something I've noticed over the years that as they as a denomination, as we're looking to fill positions like um, like editorial positions and stuff like that, uh, when they open the position up, it's fairly clear they already know who's going to fill it because of all of the connections. And so there obviously is always a hiring process and and something like that. But um, but a few of these. I, when they opened the position, I said, oh, I know who they're going to hire because they've already been kind of grooming them for the position. And, uh, and there has been, um, whether people want to disagree with me or not, it's fairly clear that the conservative voice is not there in, in a lot of these denominational positions. Well, and it's being selectively pushed out, right? I mean, since Jerry Dykstra, it's been pushed further and further to the edge, hoping that we'll just jump off the cliff ourselves. And for the first time ever, you know, there's enough young conservatives that say, no, we're the majority. Uh, we're going to turn the bus around and, and encourage the progressives that if you really want to chase that, there are a plethora of denominations for you to go to. <laughs> yeah. Pick one. Whatever yeah. fits your fancy, go for it. Uh, you know, so... Yeah, I really think we have a huge opportunity here. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's easy to talk about the problems because I think there are many, but the opportunities are so great right now. Uh, there's so much upheaval happening in the RCA and the CRC, even the PCA. Um, you know, to gather churches together, this is a prime opportunity to do it. Uh, but it has to be very clear of why we're gathering and how we can work together for orthodoxy, for yeah. Christ's kingdom to come, not for uh, some other political action committee. Um, and I think that's, uh, th sadly, that's what the CRC has bowed itself to, I think, primarily because of our association with the Lilly Foundation. 
We have a lot of money tied up through there and a lot of pastors go on sabbatical through Lilly and it's wonderful, but free money always comes with a string. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I've uh, they the the saying goes. My brother's a computer programmer and worked in um, technology for a while, and he did uh, ads. He he was for he started off to get his foothold in the industry. He was the guy who created the ads for apps and stuff. I said, "Oh, you're the guy we all hate." Um, but <laughs> he said he told us, um, you know, one of the sayings is is anytime you're given something for free, you're the product being sold. <laughs> And so that's uh, when you're given like in, in the, in the app world, they're giving you these free apps so that they can sell advertisements and keep advertisements in front of you over and over and over again. And, and when you're given free money over and over and over again, there's, there's always going to be strings attached somehow. Yeah. And I think we just have to be realistic in that, you know? Yeah. And yeah, the other thing is, you know, we are, you know, I just had a, ta- a conversation with a denominational official, last week and you know to explain to this individual who's late 60s we don't need the denomination to do what we needed it to do 100 years ago yeah you know if you and i want to support a cause we can type in their address uh, for email or their website and support send people do whatever we call feel led by god to do but Where's the denominational uh, work in that? There isn't any, you know, besides pushing the agenda. Mm-hmm. So uh, this person just happened to be in Resonate, and uh, we are we slashed our uh, giving down to ten percent of our budget, and and the concern was, well, don't you support missionaries? Yes, we do. In fact, one out of three people in our church has been on a mission trip in the last five years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. And almost none of that had anything to do with the CRC. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just where, that's just where we're going. That's why, um, you know, last time we had Synod 2019, I had written an overture about our, the way the missionaries were funded. And I got <laughs> to the Synod floor and uh, the, the head of Resonate, really had an impassioned plea that uh, Sid did not adopt the overture. Um, but, you know, the reality is our, you know, Resonate takes in over $17 million a year. And it only, it only takes $4 million to support our 29 missionaries. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's, we, uh, where did um, 13 million go? And, and well, and so we, uh, just on a smaller scale, um, so Willie and I were in youth ministry together for a long time, and of course, because we were CRC, we would always do things through uh, Serve and, and Youth Unlimited, and yet the cost for that trip kept going up and up and up, and and then most of the kids in our youth ministry were from poor, struggling homes, and they couldn't afford four, you know, it was like $400 for that. And then you had to pay travel to get out there. And it was like four or 500 bucks a kid for a week long trip and kids couldn't do it. And we weren't even that happy with what they were doing. Um, And not that it was all bad, but it just was 
well, I'll just be blunt. We thought it was kind of fluff. A lot of it was fluff. And so we started our own then through our own church. We have a small church of like a hundred people and, uh, and a five person youth ministry team. We started our own project and we were able to charge kids, um, when, and then we stayed at, in our own community and served our own community. And we were able to charge kids a hundred bucks for the whole week. Exactly. Um, and so we, we cut the cost by, you know, it was 20% of the cost and the kids actually got way more out of it because of all of the, you know, even cause we had looked at, at one point, we looked at doing our own serve project and they told us that um, out of that $350 or now it's maybe $400 registration fee, only 50% of that actually went to the site. And right. so the other 200 bucks goes into all the bureaucracy and everything above it. And it, it's, uh, you know, for being, for being the stereotypical Dutch that we are, and I'm Dutch and I fall into this category with the, with the stereotype that we're penny pinchers. Um, this is ridiculous that this is not good stewardship. Well, you know, it's interesting though, right? I mean, the CRC was built on business, right? And it was yeah. built on a business model of making sure that the organization stayed healthy and wealthy, right? And that's fine. It's great. But there comes a place and a time where you have to power down the organization a little bit. Every business goes through it. And the CRC is in that place. You know, when we were 600,000 members in 1991, um, person could argue, yeah, you can have a, you know, 600 member denominational headquarters. Uh, but when you're below 250,000, can't have 250 people. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially when most of us, I mean, myself and my sister churches near me, you know, we're running, you know, six or 700 member churches with one or two full-time guys, you know, yeah. <laughs> whole mission or uh, resonate can't operate with less than 40, you know, yeah. I, it, it, it's yeah. Just, just tell us what it is. You know, we only support 29 missionaries, other, the other uh, 30 or the other 61 are partner missionaries that find their monies with other people as well. Um, Let's take our 29, distribute them one per classes. So this is the this is your missionary that your classes will fund. The end. You know, resonate doesn't need to exist, at least not on the world side. Hmm. Um, you know, there there are so many things like that from a 30,000 foot view that we can fix. You know, that would be easy. Uh, but obstacles get thrown in the way because the heads don't want to be rolled in GR. And, but we're, we're missing the call for ministry. Yeah. I mean, Christ's kingdom is called to expand. It's called to take enemy territory. It's called to grow. And uh, it can't do that as it is in GR. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Matthew Hahn. But until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church. And he bought the church with his blood. And he warned us that wolves would come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.